0: everyone ben here with a quick programming note you're about to hear me and jason talk about star wars battlefront 2 one of the topics we touch on is the microtransaction controversy that's dominated much of the response to the game's debut well such is the power of this podcast that mere hours after we recorded ea announced that it was temporarily removing microtransactions from the game which means that for now it's not possible to buy your way to better abilities cue the yub nub song and the dancing ewoks Jason and I are taking full credit for forcing this change and are currently considering other ways to wield our power on the public's behalf. Okay, so maybe it was the massive community backlash more so than our unpublished podcast, but hey, we're happy either way. Anyway, we're leaving our discussion intact so that you can hear us describe the original problems that led to this drastic decision. Just know that the people have been heard, and there's now one less reason not to play Battlefront. Hello and welcome to Achievement Oriented, the Ringer's video game podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Always, two there are a co-host in <laughs> NYC, a co-host in Los Angeles. I'm Ben Lindberg, the New York-based one. I'm with Jason in L.A. Hello, Jason Concepcion. How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm staring at the twin sons right now. Very cinematic. Uh, I love, I, I love I, that we're talking today about Star it's Wars. Wonderful. This is our this is our our sweet spot.
1: I was, uh, you know, I, I had that kind of feeling that I that is the feeling that I feel when I know I'm enjoying a game, which is uh, I have to go do something, but I want to play one more. I want to play yes. one more multiplayer round. I'm really enjoying Star Wars Battlefront too, in a way that I was not expecting to. It's good.
0: It's good. Yeah. So am I. We're going to get into all of that. You and I are going to talk a bit about our experiences with the game. Then we're going to bring on, bring back our previous guest, Walt Williams, longtime video game writer, memoirist. He was at least one half of the writing team, I I suppose, for Battlefront 2. So we're going to talk to him about that experience and how working in the Star Wars universe is unique. Yes, it's a a great chat with Walt. Before we get to Star Wars, I just want to ask you, there's been a rash of switch ports and remastered versions of old games that have been coming out in the past week and i want to know if you're in on this how excited you are by the prospect of you and your switch which you have already bonded with for life and you can now play la noir on your switch you can play rocket league on your switch skyrim on switch doom on switch Do you like this? Have you played these games previously? Are you going to play them now or replay them now?
1: I am going to play all of those that you mentioned. Uh, Doom is one I have already downloaded, but I have not started playing it. seems Mm -hmm. like the perfect uh, avenue for me to play because I liked – you know, I I thought that the console version was okay. Um, Yeah. But I really think on Switch it's going to shine. I haven't played it yet because I'm playing Battlefront and Mario but mm-hmm. i'm i'm pretty excited to do it and and you know like any any excuse to get back into the skyrim world is one <laughs> that i will take
0: right yes i i love doom and i played it fairly recently on console so i i probably won't replay it but if i only had a switch i would certainly be getting all of these games and i'm in general i'm in favor of high def remasters right. and ports just put good games in front of the most people possible. And it's especially in gaming, it can be very difficult to go back even one or two generations if you don't have the old consoles hanging around. So if we can make these games available, that's great. And this seems like sort of a, a test case. Not every company went all in on this trend toward porting stuff to Switch. And maybe there was some question about can the hardware handle it? And I think this early release Load here has shown that it can. And it can. Clearly, there are some compromises here. Of course, you know, Rocket League and Doom don't look the same on the Switch as they do on a console. And that's particularly true if you're docking the games and playing them on your TV. If you're playing it in handheld mode, they look a lot better. But clearly, they had to cut some corners here and dial down the resolution. And it seems like they prioritize the frame rate, which is important in games like Rocket League and Doom that are very fast paced. But I think that the market. Doesn't mind if you have to make some nope. compromises on the visuals. We talked about this last week with Xbox One X. On the one hand, you have these new mid generation updates for the most powerful consoles ever. On the other hand, you have Switch, which is not close to the most powerful console ever or even of this generation, and everyone loves it. So, yeah. I think these are kind of proofs of concepts, and now that these are working and that these games are playable and people will, I think, make some sacrifices in order to play them in portable form, I would expect a whole wave of more games coming to Switch, which is another reason to love the system.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the system itself, the proposition of the system itself is is a, a series of trade-offs. You're trading off power for mobility and all these right. other things, and it just balances those things so well. So I'm really excited to get into these games.
0: Yeah. And it makes me think, I mean, was there a missed opportunity here for some other company? You look at something like PlayStation Vita, which was a powerful handheld, but didn't really do what the Switch did. And maybe it could have if it had been conceived of differently. But it's sort of a a niche system now just because it didn't really get the first party support. The price tag was kind of high. It could stream games from PlayStation locally, but you couldn't just play them portably. And I wonder what might have been with that system if Sony had kind of foreseen the the Switch revolution, which, you know, I think until Switch arrived and we all had it in our hands, it was hard to see that it was going to work as well as it has. So I don't blame anyone for, for missing that boat, but you do wonder if the opportunity was out there for some other earlier adopter. Yeah. So let's get into Battlefront 2. I've finished the campaign. I've sunk a lot of time into the multiplayer, as I know that you have too. And we'll talk about the microtransactions and the loot boxes. That's not really a separate issue because it is really tied very tightly into the game itself. You can't talk about one without talking about the other. And there has been a whole wave of negative response because of that and justified, I think. But the game itself is good. The game is good. We're that both is the really enjoying this game. The, the bottom yeah. line.
1: That game is good. Yeah. I'm not as far along in the, in the single player and the story mode as you. I've been mm-hmm. playing, uh, I just get sucked into the multiplayer because it's good. Yeah. I mean, one of the problems I had with uh, the previous iteration of Star Wars Battlefront was that even just, I mean, listen, you're skinning Battlefront for Star Wars, that's it's right. hard to fuck that up, um, yeah. but they did in that you know they have these massive maps and a uh, constant experience of Star Wars Battlefront One was like, I just you're just running around and you're tripping over some weird geometry of some tree root on Endor or right. whatever it is you're just it was harder than it needed to be to navigate the maps. That's gone. Movement is very mm. easy um, the player models are typically great the laser beams look incredible when they're hitting things the mm-hmm. the weapon models are just appropriately boxy in that really great star wars way and that stuff doesn't yeah. the weapons don't really look cool it's much like the ships you know they don't really look cool they look how you would imagine a ship would yeah. have to look in order to work and all that stuff comes together in a really great way. The the battles are big enough and not bullshit enough. There's there's some um, balancing issues that are kind of inherent to any Battlefront game, which is um, it. It just seems like uh, whenever there's a team winning, people start switching, and then all of a sudden you get into this run of games where you're constantly on a losing team and getting and getting rolled. But I, mm-hmm. that hasn't become unfun yet because I just love looking at star wars characters running around and shooting things and it's been really 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 fun
0: yeah the license goes a long way <laughs> it goes a long and, way and they make the most of it and i mean you could say the same about the first battlefront or the 2015 version of battlefront right. it looks great these games totally nail the look and the sound of star wars right. you have the john williams music playing it's you good. have ben burt's sound effects it's perfectly good. transferred it's good you get that that adrenaline rush, especially if you're someone who's been a Star Wars fan for years, this is as close as you can come, really, to playing out those it, scenarios that it's you've great. daydreamed about. So, yeah, that covers up a, a lot of flaws, and there are fewer flaws in this game than there were certainly in its predecessor. And I've never found the core shooting of Battlefront games to be among my favorite, just yeah, sort of same. the... The visceral moment to moment, you know, the feedback that you get from the character models and the bolts and all of that. I don't know if it's a lasers versus bullets issue or what, but the the core shooting, I, I've never found it as satisfying as, say, Destiny's, for example. But in this game... There are five modes, right? And I've I've tried them all out. There's a, a good variety here. There's Galactic Assault, which right. is your your big kind of twenty on twenty objective based big maps sort of thing. And then there's a, a smaller strike version, which is also objective mode, but I think eight versus eight. And then there's a, a hero one, which is just it's sorta of silly. It's like four yeah. on four. It's like Yoda and Rey and Chewbacca <laughs> just beating on each other. <laughs> <I> <laughs> and, <know. laughs> and, uh. But the highlight here, and and then there's Blast, which is just kind of a standard free-for-all shooter mode. But for me, by far, the highlight here, and really just worth the purchase price on its own, I think, is Starfighter Assault, it's which pretty good. is brilliant. Like I have almost given up on all the other modes because Starfighter Assault, to me, is just so much more fun and unique, really, because ultimately... You know, Battlefront is a Star Wars version of many other online multiplayer shooters. And that's great. But you can go get Call of Duty. You can go get Battlefield. It's not going to be a revolutionary experience relative to those. But Starfighter Assault is. And, you know, original Battlefront or the previous version of Battlefront had a mode called, I forget what it was called, Fighter Squadron or Fighter Battle or something. And it, it was much more bare bones, stripped down, fewer fighters on the screen, much more limited choices, much more repetitive objectives. And this is really fleshed out and amazingly done. It's like taking Rogue Squadron or something, basically the best aerial, you know, space-based Star Wars flying sim and making that multiplayer 12 on 12 with interesting objectives and great environments where... You know, like instead of just flying around objects, you fly through them. Yeah. You know, you're like going into the hangar bay. Which is, and a, you're, which is such it, a crucial
1: Star Wars aesthetic experience.
0: Yes. yes. And that – sense of speed is there I I think the the burnout people maybe worked on this and you can you just get that sense like there are just so many exhilarating moments in this mode and my internal monologue the whole time I'm playing is just like stay on target or I have you now or like you know I can't shake him you know I'm like doing the Jack Porkins in my head basically as I'm getting blown up every time and it's. I mean, I could play this thing all day just that mode alone. So, you know, the ground-based combat is good. It's fine, but to me, the starfighter assault is the main multiplayer draw here. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah, I've been playing a lot of Galactic Assault and a lot of uh, Starbase Fighter. Um, mm-hmm. I like. I need the. I need the. You know, the core Battlefront. Uh, experience to me is those huge battles with the multiple vehicles and the turrets and stuff. Um, But yeah, the feeling of freedom of just flying these Star Wars vehicles around in space, the multi-stage battles, it's
0: really, really fun. Really fun. It is. Yeah. And I want to just give a quick rundown of the campaign. This is – you know, This is a big addition, obviously, because the previous Battlefront did not have a campaign and there was a lot of player feedback. We want a campaign, which was heartening to me as someone who likes single player games and curiously, the single player components of online multiplayer games. And this definitely falls into that genre where, you know, it's your standard sort of like six to eight hour campaign that is introducing you to the gameplay and kind of priming you for multiplayer. But It's more than that. And a lot of that is because of the story and the writing, which we'll talk to Walt about shortly. But this is a milestone. This is – you know, we did a a podcast episode last December. I think it was episode 10 of this podcast where we talked about our favorite Star Wars games, the past of Star Wars games with a a former president of Lucasfilm. And then we talked about the future of Star Wars and – that's here now. And this is the first original story in a Star Wars video game since really Old Republic or some of the Old Republic expansion packs, you know, not counting some mobile games. And that's big. And that's always been a big part of the Star Wars expanded universe is the video game side. And that's been the slowest to bounce back from the Disney transfer. And that is fully here. And this game is set... In the aftermath of the Battle of Endor at the end of Return of the Jedi, which has always been one of my favorite periods for Star Wars fiction, just because, you know, you see in Return of the Jedi, the Death Star blows up, everyone's happy, the Ewoks are using Stormtrooper helmets as drums, and and that's like, you know, everyone's happy and the war's over, except obviously it's not. This is a, a galactic empire here, so... It's not one battle. It's not one Death Star blowing up. And this game really gets into that. Okay, what happens after that? And it really spans everything. You know, you're going from Naboo, so there are prequel environments here, to the Battle of Jakku, which sets up The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi in really interesting ways, kind of fills in the blanks. Uh, one of the things that people were confused about with The Force Awakens is how did we get to the First Order? Right. And how does we're the at- Empire relate to that? and you know that's been fleshed out in some of the comics like Shattered Empire but if you haven't read that this is a really good glimpse of how we got from there to here and it really leads directly into the Force Awakens in a fascinating way and there's a, a mix of great original characters and classic characters from the movies and you know the gameplay is not revolutionary in some ways it's kind of like a single player version of the multiplayer at times but it's fun and it tells a good story and Really, my only critique, I guess, is that at times it seems like it's serving too many masters. Mm. So on the one hand, it's trying to show off <coughs> the game modes and the environments and trying to sell you on the multiplayer. And then it's also trying to tie into the larger expanded universe and also establish these new characters. And that's kind of you know a push and pull that every Star Wars property is going through these days where you're trying to establish the new cast, you know, right. the the rays and the fins and our girl Captain Phasma's, but you're also trying to oh, have the, the the old favorites in there. And the balance is not always perfect here, you know. I I think I'd probably like more time with the new characters and less time with the classic characters. It's a little disjointed at times and It ends not quite on a cliffhanger, but it's a little unresolved, and that's because there's DLC coming. And curiously enough, the DLC is coming on December 13th, which happens to be right before The Last Jedi drops. So in a sense, you can kind of see like the larger strings of the saga being pulled here, where the story is clearly trying to set up other Star Wars properties as well as be the best Battlefront story it could be. So that's a slight critique, but overall, it's great, and it's great to have – an original campaign back in a Star Wars video game. It's been too long.
1: It has. And it's a good game. It's, feels it feels good is. to play.
0: Very excited. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, the you can kind of see a, a difference in the voice acting quality. The new characters are voiced just perfectly, like really great voice acting. And some of the old characters, as we'll talk about with Walt, they brought Billy D back, yep. which is great. But some of the others, I, I don't know who voiced Han Solo in this game, I'm sure he's a great voice actor when he's doing original characters, but pretty bad Han Solo, Harrison Ford yeah. impressionist, I've got to say. And there's a long legacy of of video games having people do impressions of movie actors in not always successful ways. So this game definitely falls into that trap at times. but. Let's just talk briefly about the thing that everyone is talking about with this game, which is the economy right. and the microtransactions and the loot boxes, because that's been the big story, more so than the game itself, unfortunately, because as we said, the game is good. Yeah. What are your thoughts on how your progression has worked in the multiplayer side?
1: Well, I, I haven't noticed, you know, I haven't unlocked any of the cool, uh, the really cool Character skins yet. I've got a right. couple of guns. But I mean, listen, the, the way that they, they had it set up certainly felt unfair. Anytime that um, microtransactions, you know, the balance that you always want to strike, or the, uh, certainly as a player, um, you want to feel as if microtransactions are there if you want to engage with them, but with enough yeah. elbow grease and enough dedication to the game. Uh you, you know, you could still achieve the level that you could by spending the money. that said, um certainly the way they had it set up or had planned to have it set up before the changes and before the uproar, it certainly seemed as if you were just not going to be able to achieve the highest levels of of mm-hmm. uh, end game state in in multiplayer or what have you without engaging in in microtransactions, which uh, yeah. f- just feels unfair just that it does it feels unfair.
0: It's frustrating. And, you know, I'm not that big a fan of just progression trees in online multiplayer just right. in general. I I appreciate when I can just kind of jump in. And, and that's somewhat self-serving because I'm probably not going to be the guy who's spending the most time on these games. Right. And so when I do play, I don't want to be behind the eight ball. I want to be living or more often dying yeah. by skill. I want it to be a level playing field. And so In that sense, it doesn't serve me well, but it goes beyond that. And it's not just being able to put a lot of time into this game because there really is a big advantage that's conferred not just by spending a lot of time and getting these random drops, but also putting money into the game, which is just something I I don't care enough about being competitive in multiplayer to do personally. and. If your game makes you feel like you have to do that, yeah, that's spend, a problem. Spend,
1: spend to win is is a problem that happens in a lot of multiplayer-based games that have microtransactions mm-hmm. and it's just something to stay away from because that, that's really right. the death of your game when, when you start getting into that kind of situation where players um, have to spend to win.
0: Yeah. And there are some moments like that where you know I I was playing Galactic Assault, I think, and I was killed by a thermal detonator. And when you're killed by someone, you can see what cards they have equipped. And so I was killed by a thermal detonator. Then I see that this person who killed me had an epic card, the the rarest kind of card that was for improved thermal detonators. And so I'm, I'm thinking, well, would that have killed me anyway? Or did it kill me just because this guy has either you know, gotten the right random draw or put money into this game to get that rare card. And to be fair, you can't get some of the items just by spending. The most valuable and, and rarest items have to be from gameplay. But even so, it it's really, it's a complicated economy. You've got credits, you've got crystals, you've got crafting points. Yeah. It's all about these star cards, which is equipping either passive abilities or active abilities that really make you significantly more powerful. And the problem is that, you know, even if you put time in or if you put money in, it's all random draws. So yeah, you can't concentrate your resources how you want. You can't say, I want to be good at this, I wanna unlock this, so I'm gonna put my resources into this area. You still have to just rely on the random loot box and fucking orange. Just, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Bow it's to really him. It's not good. And obviously, there's been a big backlash, and EA has responded to some of that. There was the most downvoted comment in Reddit history where (laughs) EA initially – Which is (laughs) saying – that's incredible, by the way. Yeah,
1: A really amazing –
0: it tells you that people are interested in yeah. the game, but it also tells you you screwed up. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, like – and they they responded to that feedback and they slashed basically what it takes to unlock right. the heroes by 75 percent, which is a lot. Like did you put much thought into this before yeah. you came up with the system if you're just cutting it by 75 percent? Anyway, it's still a problem. And if that turns people off of the game, that's fair, unfortunately, because what's there – is good and I hope people get to experience it. But it's it's a shame. And I don't know what you do about this because people do have to make money to make these big games. And you know, I was just thinking, I mean, when I was in high school or grammar school buying games, I mean the standard was like forty nine ninety nine was a big budget game at that point. And I just plugged that into an inflation calculator if If a game was $49.99 in the year 2000, that's equivalent to like $73 now. And games don't cost $73 for the most part. They cost $59.99. So it seems like game prices have not kept up with inflation. And also the demands on developers are just ramping up all the time. So I don't know what you do. And, And to be fair to Battlefront, the DLC is free. So that's a change from the first Battlefront, but clearly they had to find some way to make up that money elsewhere and not in a, a very elegant way. So we can transition to Walt here, and this is a really fun chat. And I'm glad that we got him. And I think he was responsible for a lot of the the high points in this campaign. There are just moments where you can tell that there's a real authorial voice here. There's a a solace level with Lando that just has yeah. a lot of great comedic lines. There's this sequence on on Vardos, one of the new planets where, you know, the planet's just being bombarded and you're just walking around and drinking in the horror of this and it's a really effective kind of quiet moment that you don't get in Star Wars games all that often but it's really worth playing and you know for me as a, a big Star Wars nerd it was great it, it's hard to kind of keep the competing timelines in your head cuz you know there's like the the legend stories right. of Star Wars that have now been decanonized and so in the legends timeline after the battle of endor the emperor resurrects himself and he has clones and he's trying to keep the empire together. And in this new storyline, it's kind of the opposite. The empire's kind of trying to tear itself apart. So it's, it's a strange kind of conflicting timeline thing that I'm sure you're familiar with from oh, yeah. your years of comic book reading yes. and the constant reboots. So it's just something we have to put up with in our fictional worlds these days. Anyway, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and we'll be back with Walt Williams and we'll keep it fairly spoiler free. Definitely spoiler light because we don't want anyone to be scared away from this game.
1: In need of great talent for your business, but short on time? You don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. What if hiring could be easier, more streamlined, and less time consuming? So even when you're busy, you could still be smart about the way you hire with ZipRecruiter. Blah, blah, blah. Three, two, one. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then, ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting. So you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates to find you. It finds them! No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And the easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish all in one place. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. Free. Free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash A-O. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash A-O. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash A-O.
0: Everyone knows that Redbox is all about renting movies and video games for cheap. But did you know that Redbox also sells used games starting as low as 4 dollars That's low. So for the price of one of those extra-large caramel-frapped double espresso, no-foam, two-pump, drinkity-drinks you love, you could start the most legendary game night tradition ever, playing your hearts out all the way up to bedtime and maybe beyond. For way less than you'd pay in store, you can keep your kids quietly entertained all month long. That's priceless. So you can practice that extremely complex and extremely painful yoga pose get it down to perfection so you can impress your entire class with your superhuman flexibility that's right buying games from redbox is a way cheaper option and this time you keep them forever right now doom on the switch if you want dark souls 3 and madden nfl 17 are all for sale so head over to the box and do game night on the cheap with redbox the smarter way to watch and play So we are rejoined now by Walt Williams, longtime video game writer and author of the memoir Significant Zero, which we had him on to talk about in September. And well, last time we talked, you couldn't say much about Battlefront because the game wasn't out yet. And that's right. Disney would have sent Inferno Squad to silence you (laughs) if you'd given anything away. But now that the game is out and you can speak a little more freely, we wanted to have you on again. So welcome back.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm ex- I'm super excited to be back. It was great talking to you all last time. And obviously now that uh, Battlefront 2 is out, super excited to finally be able to say things about it.
0: <laughs> yes. So how did you get attached to the project and at what point in the process did you get involved? Because I guess the world found out that there was going to be a single player campaign about a year ago. But I'm sure it was in the works already by that point.
2: So interesting how it happened. I was uh, – my wife and I were about to have our first kid. And we were getting ready to pack up out of San Francisco and move to Louisiana. Uh, and you were my contemplating is.
0: getting out of the industry or, or, exactly. or at least in, in some capacity, according yeah, to your I was, book.
2: I was thinking, well, I mean, Louisiana, North Louisiana, not a lot of game dev up here. A <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, lot of woods, a lot of farms, not much game development. So I figured, you know, it was just going to be the way it, it panned out. And I get a call uh, one afternoon from uh, Mark Thompson, uh, EA Motive, who's game director on Battlefront 2. And he's like, hey, you know, I really liked what you did in Spec Ops. We are doing a single player campaign for Battlefront 2. And would you like to write Star Wars? <laughs> and he, he <laughs> told me when they would want me to know. start. <laughs> so yeah. so he, yeah. you, you say that, but here's the thing. He wanted me, they wanted me to start. It would have been about two weeks before my child was supposed to be born, which meant it could be the week my child was born, and I would have been (laughs) on the other side of the continent in Canada while my wife was alone in uh, Oakland. And so I said I explained everything to him, and they and for what it's worth, Mark said if there's a reason to say no, that's probably that's nice.
1: (laughs) But (laughs) what an amazing human being!
2: She'd understand
1: Star Wars.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your future child would understand why you weren't there. Right.
2: So that afternoon, <laughs> after we get off the call, I'm thinking I'm just going to have to say no. Uh, just because of the, the logistics of it. We go to get an ultrasound. We're sitting in the lobby waiting for the doctor to call us back. I'm being a very supportive husband by perusing Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and um, that's when I see John Boyega tweet to EA, where's my uh, Star Wars Battlefront single player <laughs> campaign? Ooh. Right. All right, exactly. And I show it to my wife and she just... Stares at it silently for a second, then she looks at me and she goes, you have to say yes now because Finn <laughs> wants you to write him a Star Wars game. I was like, you're right. I, wow. There's no way around it now. So we <laughs> we said yes, worked out a, a slightly earlier start time for me so I could be up in Canada uh, without having uh, the fear of my wife going into labor looming over me and get everything started. And then everything worked out fine and uh, went from there. And it was... To answer the rest of your question, it was right at the beginning of the process. There yeah. was nothing on the table. I went up there. We sat down, uh, me and the team and Mark, and hashed out our uh, full idea for what we thought the game would be. And the next week, we were in San Francisco at Lucasfilm pitching it to them. Could you? Huh, could wow. you? Did you
1: consider, uh, you know, bringing a laptop into the delivery room and just having it in there? You could <laughs> well. You could so record it like that, and you could do even. You know, there's the there's the voice dictation uh, technology now where you could be. Uh, you know, actually, you know, active in, in the birth process and providing <laughs> emotional support, but also writing just with your voice.
2: <laughs> I would I would be hesitant to reveal this on air if I hadn't already told my wife this, <laughs> this but um, I, so I was on text duty while uh, we were in labor. So in between contractions and that I was texting family to tell everyone how everything was going because our family's in Louisiana and Texas and we were out in California alone. And about every 30 minutes or so, I would get an idea. So in my text duty time, I would then shoot uh, some brainstorming in a text over to my co-writer, Mitch Dyer. Hey, so I know my wife's in labor right now, but what if this happened in Mission 3? I'll get back to you. I might have a baby soon. Bye. And um, would just keep it like literally the day before. We, I woke up at 8 a.m., I re- went downstairs, didn't even take a shower, just went straight to my computer, logged on to a conference call with Mitch and Mark, and we did an eight-hour conference call where we nailed down the entire story because we knew the next day my wife was going into labor. And it was like, we just have to have everything done because I'm about to be completely yeah. hands-off for a good period of time. And. <laughs> <laughs> boy was that a inter- that was a fun 48 hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: so how did you guys pin down the time period and the basic parameters of the story. I'm always fascinated cuz with Star Wars there's so many competing demands and so many competing properties in their comic books and books and the movies of course and and Battlefront 2 really weaves itself in all of that stuff and sort of spans the entire saga in a way that a lot of things don't. So did you get a directive like hey, we want it to be something like this but within these parameters you guys can do what you want or did Did you have free reign or how did that work
2: it was a mixture of both so when i came in mark said we're we'd really like it to start at the end of jedi and span all the way to uh the force awakens Mm -hmm. Uh, following one character uh we would prefer uh, being frozen in carbonite was not involved as a way to jump time (laughs) um and that was basically it like you know what what can you come up with with that? And I was like, that's that's great. And and where that came from is that, you know, final, uh, episode eight was uh, was still out in theaters. And so Mm -hmm. coming at it from a fan perspective, like Mark and Motive, they were thinking, you know, what's interesting here is this 30-year gap between Jedi and The Force Awakens. That, filling in some of that is interesting for us as creators, but also as fans, because we want to know what happened during that 30 years. So starting to bridge that gap would be really, really great for us. And Lucasfilm was like, yes, absolutely, great, go for it. Mm -hmm. Then you had, now, now Mitch is... Star Wars down to the bone he has all of that extended universe knowledge that I didn't have I was very lucky because I I got to come in at a time where we had um, I know Lucasfilm doesn't like to say canon uh, but we had this new smaller selection of uh, what they like to call authentic Star Wars stories so I could come in and just be like that's that's (laughs) consumable I can I can read all of that now and have right. that in my head for the duration of this project. Yes. And my so head is
0: still so, stuffed with legends stories yes. that are, are
2: no longer even as real as they once were. And so he, he would, I have a theory about that and I'll tell you in a second, uh, but he would get, Mitch would get so excited. Oh, maybe we can bring back this character. I'm like, I don't know who that is, but okay. Um, so, but that's what we did is the way we we did all in is we really just, we completely immersed ourselves in all of the new stories so that we not just to like inform us of what we could use or what we could reference, but it gave us this sense that we weren't writing a story in a vacuum, that this was an event yeah. happening on a grand scale with all these other events, and it really gave us this feeling that we were adding something into history or telling a part of time in history and not just something on its own because we're drawing lines and connections to all of these Uh, other different characters and and events that are happening and it just felt so much more real to us and immersive for us as writers and so that was a lot of fun for us and I know we both really enjoyed that aspect of it because there's something great about writing a Star Wars story which is that you get to buy all of the books and comics and toys and your family can't say no you get to go no no (laughs) this is research I really need this Han Solo figure I need to look at him when I write him and they go "Uh, fine okay whatever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, that's a wonderful thing to happen, especially when you just had a baby. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously,
1: Lucasfilm is—we're working with IP like this. Um, there's going to be a lot of questions about security, no leaks, having things, keeping things really close to the vest and in-house. Did they have—were there any special security measures when you're working with material like this? Like, can you— can you just go to a Starbucks on an open Wi-Fi and write, <laughs> like on final draft, write your script for Star Wars Battlefront 2, or do you have to do something else?
2: So I always – I write at home just because I, I need that silence and isolation. But there was a point where my, my laptop upgraded to the latest Windows, and it, it somehow bricked it. And I couldn't get the screen to turn on. And I took it to the store to, to have someone look at it. And they were like, well, can you leave it and we'll get it going again? And I was like, no. No. No, I, I I can't do that because my desktop was nothing yeah. but Too different sensitive. drafts of the script and like notes on other stories that were going on. I think I probably had a link in there to uh, stuff that was happening in uh, Rogue One, which hadn't come out yet. And I'm just like, I'm going to have to go home and just hit this with a hammer until it works. I can. I'm sorry. No, I cannot leave my computer with you. Um. So, I mean, you, you kind of learn to juggle that kind of like you're just. You think, what can I do where? And basically, there is a little bit of it that is nothing. You can do nothing anywhere in public uh, when you're working with a lot of this stuff. But the other thing is, I found... Sometimes people are like, well, what are you working on? You'd be like, oh, I'm writing on a Star Wars thing. And people would give you this look like, huh, sure you are. So even if like someone saw it over your shoulder in a Starbucks, when you're in Bossier City, Louisiana, most people are thinking, oh, look, he's writing himself a Star Wars story. That's cute. No one's going to actually believe that you're sitting in a, in a Starbucks writing Star Wars here. So that was a nice little bit of freedom. I have successfully
0: fought my laptop's attempt to upgrade my operating system for three (laughs) years now, I think. I'm still on Windows 7. I'm never giving it up. (laughs) It's brutal when it does. You're you're doing a smart
2: thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. So tell us about working with the Lucasfilm Story Group, because for people who don't know, there is a a high council of Star Wars scholars at Lucasfilm who are the authorities on everything and oversee every aspect of the Star Wars saga. And so when you're working within that universe, you have to consult them run things by them. And I'm curious how that worked. How frequent was the consultation and how helpful was it?
2: So when you go into a relationship like this with with uh, working on a license game and working directly with the company that owns it and controls it, you never know what that relationship is going to be like. And admittedly, mm-hmm. we were very nervous. That Our first pitch meeting, you look around, you're like, I'm in the middle of Lucasfilm. I'm surrounded by 10 members of the story group and I'm about to tell them what I think a Star Wars story should be. This is going to go <laughs> terrible for me. Uh, and you start talking and you see them all paying attention. You see them all smiling and nodding and really listening and getting into it and asking questions to because they really want to understand where you're coming from, what you're doing. And you begin to realize, wait, wait. All of these people are as big Star Wars fan, big of Star Wars fans as I am. They love mm-hmm. this. They get up every day and come to work, and they're excited to make Star Wars just as much as I am. And I'm here day one. It is, they, they are such a collaborative and supportive group. They work so hard to help you find exactly the story that you want to tell and give you uh, the support that you need to tell it. Uh, at no point in time were, did we ever come to them with an idea where they were just like, "No, you can't do that." If it was ever, they would always have a reason, and even if that reason was just, "No, you can't do that," and we can't tell you yet <laughs> why, because huh. something is, something else is happening Ooh. on something else, and so <laughs> you can't do that. How do you resist? Um,
1: how do you resist the urge to be like, "Well, what's happening? What is it?" Well, <laughs> can you tell me what it is? Can you give me any so, kind of hint I'm, on what it is?
2: I tried to. What about those? this character? <laughs> every I I limited myself to 3 questions every every time we would go out to dinner with them which would be every few months. We'd go out to dinner and be like, "Okay, so here's my 3 questions for tonight. What was up with this one?" And you can just say I can't tell you. That's perfectly fine. Or what was this? And you know, they're they love answering those kind of questions uh cuz you know, sometimes and sometimes they're like, "We have no idea. George might have had an idea, but he didn't tell anyone." So, we don't <laughs> know the answer to that. It's like, "Oh, okay, that's great." Um but so, they're balancing all these different stories, the ones that have already been told. Uh, they're thinking in their head about stuff that's happened in the, in the EU, in the legend stuff. They are balancing the stuff that's in production that you don't even know about. They're balancing stories five, six years down the line, seeding things that you don't even know, and also trying to help you tell the perfect Star Wars story that you can tell that's not going to be stepping on the feet of any other stories. It's going to feel original and unique to what you want to do and i can i can't stress enough how amazingly supportive and wonderful it was to work with them it was so much fun and part of that is because you know they really made the experience probably one of the best writing experiences of my career because they were just so collaborative and involved and really excited about everything we were doing we would we would talk to them pretty much on a weekly basis mhm
0: yeah so The campaign puts you in control of new original characters created for the game and also classic characters that everyone knows. So I'm curious about which you enjoyed more or what were the benefits and and drawbacks of each? Because I have to imagine just as a fan thinking, I'm writing lines for Lando right now. (laughs) And when I write a line for Lando, that is now officially Lando's story. It's cemented in the Star Wars universe, and that's got to be cool. But on the other hand, it's got to be nice to kind of put your own stamp on Star Wars and create characters who've never been seen
2: before. Uh, it's actually interesting. That is, you basically summed it up, and you even picked the perfect character for it. So, <laughs> so coming in right off the bat, you know, this is a single-player campaign for the Battlefront series. And Battlefront, you know, it's this big multiplayer game where you're really experiencing what these big epic Star Wars battles would be. Partly as just a soldier on the ground, whether it's a rebel or an imperial, but then you can unlock heroes to play in these battles, like Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, the Emperor, Lando, Han Solo. And so we wanted the single-player campaign to, in a lot of ways, uh, reflect uh, certain aspects of what the multiplayer gameplay was like. And so that's why Mm -hmm. we have this duality of... Where the majority of the story you were following, Iden Verzio, the commander of Inferno Squad, uh, this elite Imperial unit, but every now and then that story crosses over with these Star Wars heroes, and when it does, you will take on uh, the role of playing one of those heroes. So it, it you know it works as uh, you know part of the narrative, but also gives players uh if they haven't jumped into multiplayer yet, a little experience of what it would be to play some of these characters. And right off the bat when they said we want to do these hero missions in the narrative, I was like, cool, because we're doing Lando. That's happening. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> um we are you were going to let me write Lando Calvincy, and that's that's yeah. all I want out of life. Lando and... <laughs> has
0: been snubbed by the movies so far. So yeah, I'm glad you got Lando in here.
2: Oh, it meant it seriously, it meant so much to me, <laughs> to not only have Lando, but to have him voiced by Billy D. Williams himself, how, uh, was you, such a joy. That is, <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly, I'm done. I don't really have too much more to accomplish in life at that point. I'm pretty well, I'm pretty well checked out. So, <laughs> how do you stay professional
1: in a, in a situation like that? Where, you, oh, I'm, I pitched Lando. They said yes, and not only that, but they're giving me Billy D. <laughs> Are you just like yeah? Okay, good. When's uh, he coming in? Like, how do you like? How do you how do you comport yourself in a professional manner with your corporate overlords uh, while dealing with stuff that's really this the you know the stuff of childhood dreams?
2: Um. Well, uh, I find that there's usually a broom closet somewhere nearby, <laughs> um, and so if you can bite the inside of your lip for yeah. the duration of the conversation, then you can go somewhere and you can scream into a mop very loudly and. uh <laughs> No one will know. It worked out well for me for the whole year and a half that we were working on this project. Uh, but that when the Lando, uh, Billy D coming on as Lando was I think one of the last uh, pieces of wonderful information that I learned uh, towards the end of the project. And it was just, just like great. Oh my gosh. Like I cannot wait to hear these lines. Yeah. Uh, he especially, because we wrote him with, we wrote Lando with a bit of a relationship to one of our other characters, Inferno Squad, uh, this Duros rebel named uh, Shriv, who's just this grumpy put out, just uh, beat down by life and war and everything little alien, who wants to do the right thing and keeps having to do it next to Lando Calrissian, and just <laughs> doesn't know, he's just not happy about any of that, <laughs> Yeah. And him and Lando made this perfect little odd couple for whenever they would show up together uh, in the game. And having Billy D uh, playing off of uh, Dan, the actor who played Shriv, was they just had such wonderful chemistry in the game. Hearing them back and forth, and it was it's a, when they show up together. I you know I don't want to spoil too much for those of you who haven't played it, but those, for us writing that was really the highlight of me was getting to write those two characters back to back. But at the same time, going back to these original characters, Shriv was one. But writing someone like Aiden Verzio, creating this imperial character who uh, played amazingly and brought to life uh, by Janina Gavankar, um, to someone who uh, embodies a part of the empire we've never really seen before, this kind of elite soldier who has the freedom to uh, make these command decisions on the fly to adapt and isn't totally tied down to this rigid Imperial structure because they have to solve problems that no other unit can solve creating that character and giving us a look into the empire. That was a, equally interesting for us as much as the, the fan service parts of ourselves wanted to be like, yay Lando getting to find <laughs> this new voice in the, in the universe that would be a hero to new players coming in and to new people uh, joining uh battlefront. That was you, you never think to yourself, someday I'm going to create my own Star Wars hero and it's going right. to be real. That's not mm-hmm. something you ever even contemplate. Uh, I certainly <laughs> didn't. And, like, Iden now, she goes back. She's in A New Hope. Wow.
0: Yeah, she, that's awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, she's the when they're attacking the Death Star, she is the first TIE fighter pilot that we see inside. The, that's Iden Verzio. And she survived. She's one of the only Tie fighter pilots that survived, other than Darth Vader, because she's outside the blast range. And it's the it's the destruction of the Death Star that causes the creation of Inferno Squad as this elite unit to help uh, combat these uh, this new rebel threat that suddenly has become so much more uh, prevalent to the Empire. So in a lot of ways it's kind of like you know we retroactively created star wars entirely so you know that's pretty cool um (laughs) i don't know how george would think about that
0: uh, right han solo has a beard in battlefront 2 is that your idea (laughs) no No, you can thank
2: you can thank chuck wendig for han solo's yes okay yes Uh he wrote han solo with a beard in his aftermath trilogy right that's right and we were this is this is some of the great stuff that comes in when you're working with a story group you know you're looking at you're like so where do This happened in the timeline, they're like, okay, so this would be right about uh, maybe two or three days after this little scene in uh, the first aftermath book. So Mm. Han still has a beard, and you're like, must be bearded, yes. And well, that's the thing, you take it to art, and art's like, oh, but we, why, why does Han still have a beard because it's canon, it's in right, he has to, there's you cannot. You have to build bearded Han Solo, and they're like, "Oh, okay." No, it's right here in the book. Read it. He has a beard. Uh, we were. I was. I like bearded Han Solo because it's it's clearly it's not a decision that uh, he felt was right for him. Because every time, other time we've seen him, there's no beard. This is something that he ultimately, I'm sure, Leia or Chewbacca shamed him uh, <laughs> out, out, had him shave it off at some point. <laughs> uh, but I liked the idea that, you know, the war has reached a certain point where Hans, yeah, he's just letting go a little bit, you know, he's just letting mm-hmm. the beard grow out, hiding off in, t- uh, Taco Donna, trying to find out information about freeing the Wookiees. And he's like, yeah, you know, let's get furry. Let's do this. Is there, is yeah. there some kind of,
1: is there a secret or a method behind naming Star Wars characters and places? <laughs> it just, it just feels like, I mean, it's so important. I think it's overlooked.
2: Uh, That you know the character has to have a a cool name. So, I think everyone has their own way of doing it. There wasn't Lucasfilm didn't give us uh, a guideline, Mm -hmm. Uh, but for for us reading all the different books in the comics and watching the shows and the movies and having to come up with our own names, we came up with three different ways. Uh, One is you can go the uh, the very blunt way of like uh, you know uh, Darth Maul, sure uh, a name that uh, has a clear meaning to a character trait about that character. Uh, you can go uh, a way of which we like to do sometimes of taking uh, a name of someone that you know and uh, sl- uh, you know just switching some letters around. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, Mike Martin would could be Kaime Nartim. Um, mm-hmm. or the way I do it, and this is something I do for pretty much everything I write when I have trouble come up with a character name is I look around my desk, and I see what I haven't used as a character name before, and I go, okay, bread. Now, how can I rearrange the letters in bread to sound like (laughs) Star Wars? Uh, Drame, cool. That is Lord Drame that we are now talking to. Uh, Perfect. Someone, please, I hope someone's going to replace that later, but that's what we're doing right now is Lord Drame, uh, because that's... I know there's no M in bread, uh, but uh, for some reason I put one in there when I said it out loud. Uh, So you you kind of just once you once you get the rhythm of it, you just kind of you start spouting out of your your mouth when you start thinking of them. Uh, It's just you kind of get the rhythm of it, and um, like Vardos, the planet Vardos, the planet Pilio, like those just kind of we were like, what are good planet names? Pilio sounds Star Wars. Cool, let's do that. <laughs> um, come on, that can't be. Somebody can't have just been like Pilio. Oh, hey, here we go. Like, how long well,
1: does that, it take? It just feels like it would take a, a little longer than that.
2: Well, I mean, so you come up. I mean, some. I've, actually, I think Pilio did happen like that. I think it was like Pilio sounds uh, like a Star Wars name, and you put it down and you send it to Lucas, and I, I don't know. I like to think somewhere Lucas has a spreadsheet where yeah. someone has to like, they get all the new names right. passed down from projects right. and they're just like, control, uh, find. Yeah, no, yeah we already, too close, we already, too, too close there. to something yeah. else, yeah. Because <laughs> we, did, we did have one name, they're like, you can't use that because that name is the name of a rebel. It gets shouted out in oh. the background in this scene and blah, 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 mm. and Empire Strikes Back. And we're like, wait, you mean that guy that died off screen? Someone just said, is, is what we. <laughs> yep, can't use it, sorry. Of course, yeah. Hey, uh-huh. fair enough. So we will not call him that, that's good. Um. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of that back and forth with that. <laughs> So as soon as I heard you were working on this game, I
0: was wondering, how dark is it going to get? Because, of course, Spec Ops was pretty dark. And the idea behind that game is that war is not fun, and we're going to show that, and we're going to make you feel bad about some of the choices (laughs) that you make. And so that's always a question with Star Wars, right? Because historically speaking, it's a family-friendly, kid-friendly franchise. And, of course, there are some darker aspects to it. Certainly some of the comic books and Rogue One had some dark aspects to it, maybe some other darker aspects aspects that didn't actually make it into the theatrical release so what was kind of the the governing philosophy here or or the inspiring ideal was there some emotion or idea you wanted to convey and were you having to be reined in at all when it came to (laughs) kind of showing the the darkness of being
2: a bad guy in in the empire not really because i'll be honest with you and right from the beginning we knew we wanted to start by telling an imperial story but we mm-hmm. wanted to, we didn't see it as a defection. Like this isn't a story mm-hmm. about an Imperial who defects and becomes a rebel. This is a story about a person who's born into the Empire, who believes the Empire is a force of good, and believes mm-hmm. in all the propaganda, and believes that they are doing that good. And right. who then, in the turmoil of the destruction of the second Death Star, sees the Empire for what it truly is, and has to make... A decision of what type of person she wants to be does she believe that the empire is something that can be saved something that could be salvaged and do the thing that it says it wants to do or is she going to recognize that the empire was never uh the organization that she believed it was and walk away from it that Mm -hmm. for us was that the emotion in the core of what Aiden is Aiden when you, when you think Empire and you think Imperials, we, we have a tendency to think these are bad people because we've only ever seen it from the top. The Empire, uh, the Emperor, Darth Vader, Grand Moff Tarkin, these people who are genuinely bad guys who mm-hmm. have bad intentions. But that's not everyone in the Empire. So coming at it from the idea that a good what would a good person in the Empire do when they mm-hmm. finally had to face what this grand galactic machine was really all about? How would they react? Mm, And for us, that was the core of Aiden. And honestly, and on a personal level, coming off of something like Spec Ops, which is a game about a person who thinks they are good, doing bad things because they believe those bad things are for the greater good, but ultimately those bad decisions only make things worse for the people around him, I didn't want to spend a year of my life writing a story about bad people doing bad things. Mm -hmm. I needed to find hope in Aiden's journey as much as I didn't needed to find hope in her journey. And you you don't hear people talk about that a lot when they talk about writing video games, because we tend to focus on what we want the player to be feeling. But I wanted in in this case, you know, I wanted to find a, a message of hope in a war story that I could take the player on. And maybe maybe it's because I had just had a kid. I I couldn't tell you, but, like, I, coming in, I definitely was like, I don't want to take Star Wars to the dark places of... I don't want to lower Star Wars to my level. I want to rise to the level of Star Wars in telling a story that can, at the end when you walk away from it, makes you believe that things can possibly be okay. Um mm-hmm. So, and, and Mitch and Mark and everyone was, you know, right on board with that.
0: Yeah. It's very rare to get that perspective in a Star Wars game. Of course, there's right. TIE Fighter, the classic, and maybe the Imperial Agent stuff in Old Republic, but for the most part, you're playing as someone on the good side, and if you're doing anything bad, it's it's very briefly. So, I enjoyed just getting a, a taste of that, at least in Battlefront 2, before yeah. ultimately there is a change
2: and also, you know, I I do feel like I think there's room for those stories that are entirely imperial. But for something like that, it can be tricky to do in a video game, especially in a video game uh, like Battlefront that is mostly about a soldier on the ground experience, where you know you're shooting, you're in combat. If you really, you know, when you want to explore a character on that side, you want to be able to get into their head. You want to see how they're thinking and feeling internally. And and I feel like you know books. Are honestly probably a little bit better for telling a story that's entirely about the imperial side, just because you can get more uh, into that character's mindset about the things happening around them. It, it you know it can be very hard to to go that deep in the middle of you know a, a massive uh, battle, space battle over the planet of Jakku. You're not going to be right. thinking too much about that internal monologue. It's more like, hey, wow, we've got star destroyers crashing straight for us. We need to do things. You know, it it mm-hmm. becomes a little bit harder to get that in depth so Mm
0: -hmm. yeah i actually you know as as great as the set piece battles are where there's something happening on every inch of the screen i really enjoy in star wars games kind of the the smaller scale stuff the behind the scenes stuff where you get a glimpse of an aspect of star wars settings that you might not have time for in a movie so there's a lot of that in Battlefront, i think where you're in a factory or you're in a city and you're seeing kind of you know not just main street but some of the the side alleys of star wars which i really
2: always appreciate Oh yeah, that's some of the the most fun part about doing the world building. Like Mitch and I would sit down and be like, what are things we haven't seen in Star Wars? Like what are the type of right. uh, facilities and businesses and places that would clearly exist in this galaxy? And we have a whole list of stuff. So Lucasfilm, you know, if you want more stuff, you know, feel free to <laughs> give us a call. Yeah. We're ready. <laughs> yes, uh, But like, you know, we have all these, this list of all these different things. Like what would, you know, we've been to Bespin. We've seen Cloud City. Clearly that's not the only thing on Bespin. What is... What else would be on Bespin? What is Bespin about? You know, it's a Tabana gas mining planet. Okay, well, mm-hmm. what would somewhere else on Bespin look like? Where do the poor people right. work? Where do they live? You know, yes. what is a, what's a gas rig look like on this place where we've only ever seen the rich pleasure city? You know, like, it, there's so much to explore in the galaxy. And, and that's the great thing about Lucasfilm is that they want you to explore it. You know, you have a tendency to come in thinking, well, I guess we'll, we got to go to Hoth. We want And they're like, no, 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 you don't have to show us something yeah. new. We want we yeah. want to see new things just as much as you do. What what's new? And when when the people who, you know, curate and hold the keys to Star Wars are like, "Go to town. Give us, you know, show us new things in this galaxy." You're just like, "Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Yes, I will do that. Whatever you want. <laughs> I can give you all the new stuff." Uh and it's invigorating to, you know, like we, you know, the day it came out on advance release, which was this past Tuesday, you know, we're on Wikipedia, watching pages appear, uh, right? Of that's all the like stuff. A, that's just like, amazing. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like because it it they, it comes up so fast. The fans yeah. just they're like, uh, they oh, can't that's a wait. new thing. Let's add that page. Yeah, they really can't. It's so awesome to see that excitement. Because I'll be honest, I've never been a part of of writing something. That has had such an immediate uh, embracing from the fans. Before they even, they just, when they first heard about it, people were excited. People started cosplaying as Aiden. People got so excited about Inferno Squad and and learning what this story was going to be. And that excitement feeds you because it's rare to uh, be working on something that instantly is embraced like that. And so now you're like, well, we gotta live up to their expectations. We gotta write even harder. And you're already writing as hard as you can. But now you're like seeing people get more and more excited as news comes out. And you're just like, man, you even start to pinpoint certain like fans on Twitter. You're like, man, I cannot wait to find out what they think of this thing. I think they're going to love this. Because they've just been, you know, on it full hog from the, from the beginning. And it's exciting to, to get to experience something from that level. Have you played the game at all? I've played parts of it. Uh, multiplayer I, or the, uh, the story? I played a little bit of multiplayer and I played a little bit of the single player. I this has been a very very busy week, sure. And I'm about to leave town to to I, one of my my oldest friends is getting married this weekend, so we've been getting ready to go out of town. Monday, when I'm back in town, Monday is Star Wars Day. That's yes. uh, that is that is the day for me where I'm going to sit down. I'm going to make my wife sit down next to me, and it's like, okay, honey, let's watch the last year and a half of my life. It's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be good. We're going to play yeah. this together. We're going to have a good time. Uh, but I have been holding off waiting for that day because it's just been. And let me tell you, it's been hard not being able to sit down and play this week, watching other people play it because I want to. I really do. <laughs> but this right. has been just the busiest week in my house. Uh, that's the thing. You know, you got an 18 month old baby. Uh, I guess that's a toddler. Technically, I'm running around. And it's just like, yeah, you you have to find special times to sit down and play video games. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So last question, I don't want to ask you really about the economic aspects of the game, because A, I don't want to get you in trouble. And B, I know that's not really your area. You wrote the story. But I did want to ask you about a tweet of yours and your perspective on the larger issue in the industry, because I know that it must be demoralizing. And, and Jason, I guess you experienced this to an extent also. Oh, sure. You write for NBA two K, and then the game comes out and everyone's talking about microtransactions. Yeah. And the same with Battlefront, and I'm sure that's demoralizing for someone who's on the creative side and has spent a year and a half on the game and doesn't want that to be the the narrative here, but the tweet that you sent that went semi-viral, I would say, (laughs) you you wrote, tired is hating microtransactions. Wired is recognizing that a project-based industry attempting to maintain a traditional full-time employment model must find new revenue streams to survive a sale-focused consumer base that expects constant expensive innovation. Using the full 280 there. So- What are your thoughts? Because you've been in this industry for a while. You've worked on many games. You've seen how the economics work or don't work. And we're hearing more and more that something's got to give, that things are just unsustainable. What are your thoughts on where we're going to go, how we're going to get away from this situation where this is what we're talking about when games come out?
2: Well, my first thought is that I should never tweet bored ever again. Uh, that is that is a clear mistake. Uh, when I tweet bored, uh, is that I will tweet things that will then possibly go semi-viral. Um, what I I I should have I, I should have clarified a bit more in that tweet when I sent it out. What I was not saying, microtransactions are simply a thing that you need to deal with. I was trying to get across the uh, the point that this is. Microtransactions are simply a, uh, it's a response to spending trends, and right. whether Companies whether need those to spending right. make
0: yeah. money, <laughs> right? Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Uh, and whether it's microtransactions or DLC or season passes, these are all reactions to spending trends, uh, and that so, mm-hmm. uh, you know the industry is going to always be exploring new avenues of revenue. If you don't like a particular one, then you know let publishers and developers know. And, you you know, you can speak publicly about it on, you know, uh, on Reddit, on Twitter, on Facebook, you can vote with your wallet. But that's, you know, that's how you, you know, our consumer base and the industry communicates with each other and things adapt and change. Um, The matter of fact is, you know, there are certain spending trends that have caused companies to have to try new models. And that's, I think, with a lot of different mediums. I mean... You know when you get into journalism and you know newspapers and magazines and and online news services and paywalls, everyone's constantly trying to find uh new ways to pay their employees um mm-hmm. and 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 meet their margins and so some of them some of them work some of them don't and yeah, I mean outside of that, I don't really have too much like you said I wrote the story uh on the motive right. side, so like I had nothing to do with any of the design aspect of it but i can I can understand. You know, why sometimes people get upset about these things because it's a new it's a change to how we see the games that we're playing and people Mm -hmm. have to digest that and decide how they feel about it.
0: Right. Yep. Well, I'm glad that the money was there to pay you to work on this game because (laughs) the campaign was a treat. I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much. you said a few minutes ago that, you know, no one ever dreams of creating their own Star Wars characters. Speak for yourself. I've, I've been thinking about it for, <laughs> for 20 years or so. I'm, I'm available. No one's calling, but I'm thinking about it. So I'm glad that you got the chance to do that. And Again, if you haven't read Walt's book, it's called Significant Zero. Go get it. Go listen to our interview with him. It's episode 53 of this podcast. Always a pleasure to have you on. You can find him and read his occasional bored semi viral tweets <laughs> at Walt D. Williams. And, Walt, thanks a lot for making some time. Hey, thanks Thank for having us. It was great. All right, Jason, that yes. will do it. We've indulged our Star Wars fandom for the day. That's Just great. we're going to take a quick break before we talk about nothing but Star Wars a month from now in our our various job incarnations so we're going to do, be back next week it is thanksgiving we're going to be traveling everyone's going to be traveling and so what we're going to do is a mailbag episode we haven't really done one of those we've mailbag. taken occasional questions but full mailbag episode the go-to move for podcasters who are on the road and don't have a topic so <laughs> we're going to ask all of you to supply the content for us so please tweet at the podcast twitter account at achievementpod. And we will collect all those questions. We will discuss them next week. Again, that's Achievement Pod. We'll be back in our regular slot. You have been listening to Achievement Oriented, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hot take, video games are super fun. And, sadly, super expensive. It comes with a cost. You gotta pay for what you get. And once you bust open that plastic, you're stuck with them. That's why Redbox lets you try out the hottest new games risk-free. Right now, you can rent The Evil Within 2, Destiny 2, NBA 2K18, featuring the hot writing of Jason Concepcion, and more. Text ACHIEVEMENT to 727272 for a free one-night game rental with Redbox, the smarter way to watch and play. Offer expires December 31st, 2017, subject to additional terms. Charges apply for additional nights. Payment card required. If you're not in Text Club, Redbox will send you an additional text with an invite to join their recurring alerts. Message and data rates may apply. For terms, visit www.redbox.com slash Text Club. And for the privacy policy, visit redbox.com slash privacy.
1: We love having great advertisers support our show. But in order to continue doing that, we need your help. So please, do us a favor and go to podcastlistener.com slash achievement to answer a few short questions. It would be really helpful to us. Again, that's podcastlistener.com slash achievement.